0: Welcome to the Just Right Show, where you'll explore the world of the written word, from books to blogs, sales copy to screenplays, emails to essays, and everything in between. You'll discover the tips, tricks, and tactics the most successful writers in the world use every day. And now, here's your host, Travis Cody.
1: Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Just Right Show. I'm your host, Travis Cody, and today I have a very remarkable. Guest with us, Glenn Namaston, Ph.D. Glenn is a veteran psychologist and was the longtime CEO of a multimillion-dollar consulting firm which has serviced several Fortune 500 clients in the food industry. In fact, you may have even seen his or his company's previous work, theories, and research in major periodicals like the New York Times, the Los Angeles Times, the Chicago Sun-Times, the Indiana Star-Ledger, the New York Daily News, American Demographics, or any of the other major media outlets. You may have also heard him on ABC, WGN, or even CBS Radio or UPN TV. Glenn was disillusioned by what traditional psychology had to offer overweight and or food-obsessed individuals, and he spent several decades researching the nature of binging and overeating via (coughs) work with his own patients and a self-funded research program with more than 40,000 participants. Most important, however, was his own Personal journey out of obesity and food prison to a normal, healthy weight, and a much more lighthearted relationship with food. Today, Glenn is the author of multiple, multiple books, including Never Binge Again, An End to Nighttime Overeating, 101 Best Food Rules, 45 Binge Trigger Busters, The Food Demon Interviews, Me, My Pig, and I, as long and, and as well as several others. But the reason I'm so excited to have Glenn on the show today is the fact that his book Never Binge Again is approaching a major milestone for any author, which is he's coming up on his millionth download on Amazon Kindle. So Glenn, thank you for being on the show today. I'm so uh, touched and honored that you would be here. So thank you. Thanks,
0: Travis. It's delightful to be here.
1: Ho- hopefully I uh, got, got everything right there and didn't leave anything out.
0: Yeah, I, I don't know exactly when we'll get to a million, but we're getting close. Yeah, that's
1: I mean so do you have plans or how you're going to celebrate when you get there? Or is it just going to be
0: another day? <laughs> I I'm going to run around outside and declare myself the king of the world and make everybody bow to my feet. I I don't know what I'm going to do. That's awesome.
1: <laughs> well, you should. I mean a million, that's uh, that that's phenomenal. So, well you had quite the journey to to get to this point as well and you know, you what I love about your work and watching your career is the process that you bring into play, especially with how you do research so I would love to to talk a little bit about the journey today because I know you had a, a very successful coaching business and then and you were partnered with with your wife on that and then everything sort of closed shop after you got divorced. So how do you go from successful coaching business and then pivoting into this particular topic and and more importantly, how were you able to navigate? you know, the emotions of all all of that stuff going on and, and
0: regroup to get where you are today? Well, um so I was known as a marketing research consultant for a lot of years and I, you know, I was the CEO of our companies while we were conducting research for Fortune One Hundred companies and we you know, we did an awful lot of research over thirty years. Um And then I developed a research protocol, which I taught to small businesses for a lot of years. And I think that's how you actually came upon me, if I'm not mistaken. Um, And so you would think that I researched everything from day one when I decided to write the book, but it's not really how it happened. Um, I was starting to be in a tumultuous time and I wasn't really sure what I was gonna do. Um, and um, this was in 2015. And I, I was a minor partner in a publishing company and the CEO was saying that we should publish our own book because we needed to prove that we knew what we were doing so we could attract better authors. And we were kind of moving from thinking about teaching other authors to um, being more of a traditional publishing company because we felt like we were really good at the systems. And um, so the CEO said, Can you write a book? And I said, Well, I've been keeping this journal for about eight years about me versus my inner pig, because I, I used to be pretty fat. And uh, I think not by the time you knew me, knew me, but before then I was as much as 80, I think. I stopped weighing myself at 257, but I <laughs> kept eating. Wow. Um, you know, and if you pass by the Woodbury Country Deli and ask for a pizza or Pop Tarts, they probably would have been out. Because I w- I was there before you. It was it was that kind of thing back then. And
1: um, but so you were keeping a journal of that whole process then, of your own journey with that.
0: Yeah, I I, I went through a long journey, most of which was an attempt to heal my underwounded child or figure out if I could fill the hole in my heart, so I would stop trying to fill the hole in my stomach. And. So that's a
1: title for your next book, How to Fill the the Hole in Your Heart So You'll Stop Filling the Hole in Your Stomach.
0: It's really not, because it didn't work. It didn't work, and towards the end of all that, in my early to mid 40s, really early 40s, I came upon a whole bunch of research which flipped the paradigm. So instead of trying to nurture my inner inner wounded child to get better, I decided that I had to be more like an alpha wolf, dealing with a challenger for leadership. So I'll I'll try to make a long story short just so you understand the nature of the book. I, I, I was doing all this consulting for industry and I saw that they were engineering, big food in particular, all these hyper palatable concentrations of starch and sugar and fat and oil and excitotoxins. And the whole point of it was to hit our bliss points without giving us enough nutrition to feel satisfied so that we kept going back for more and more and more.
1: So the food we're eating was specifically designed to addict us, but make us, leave us feeling hungry.
0: Yeah. Every time you're looking for love at the bottom of a bag or a box or a container, there's some fat cat in a white suit with a mustache that's laughing all the way to the back. And And
1: you found hard research of that.
0: Well, um, I mean, there is, there's a book called Sugar, Salt, and Fat that will prove a lot of that right. to you okay. in yeah. the research. But, I mean, I work with the executives, right? Like, I, right. I sat and I talked to the <laughs> VP of marketing of, I just call it a major food bar manufacturer. So you actually know what these fat cats look like. That was not hyperbole. <laughs> right. <laughs> He's actually not that fat. But I, I talked to him, and he, he told me, you know, Glenn, our most profitable insight was to take the vitamins out of the bar and to put the money into the packaging instead because the vitamins tasted bad and they cost a lot of money and the packaging, if we made it a diverse diverse and colorful and shiny, um, it seemed to signal to people that there were vitamins in it anyway. And yeah, because if you think about it, the reason we appreciate color so much is that in nature, you know, think of a, Green. Yeah, eat, salad. The, eat the rainbow, that's what they say. Eat the rainbow, man, eat the rainbow. And, you know, so I, I said, I said, I won't tell you his name. I said, you're, fa- you're faking us out then, right? You're faking us out. And he kind of hangs his head in shame and he goes, yep. And it goes on all over the industry. They, they spend billions of dollars to make you believe that this stuff is good for you, to make you believe that you need it to survive. They know how to... They know how to hit those evolutionary buttons.
1: Man, like, that's the hi- crazy deep psychology behind all this stuff. Wow.
0: They're hijacking our brains. Yeah, yeah. They're hijacking our brains. Um, I mean, there's a defense against it, but, but um, and I don't mean to just totally blame the corporations because people love, love good news about their bad habits, like Howard Jacobson says. They love good news about their bad habits, so the consumer wants to be lied to you know, <laughs> n- new potato chips made with avocado oil. So now they're- That's healthy potato chips. Right, right. <laughs> f- forget about the acrylamide. That's
1: 2% the, of your daily calcium. I'll eat this one because that candy bar over there doesn't have any ca- calcium.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So, you know, I, I had, I'd realized I'm going down the wrong road when I said these external forces, they don't have anything to do with the fact that my mama didn't love me enough or was in a bad marriage or anything like that. Um, they were external forces that everyone faced. And I started to think that maybe there's not something wrong with me. Because, you know, if you go to Over's Anonymous or some therapist, they'll tell you you have a disease and, you know, you're different than everybody else. And I started to think, no, I'm not different than everybody else. I just have a healthy appetite that was corrupted by industry. And then the last thing that I, I really figured out was that, um, the part of the brain that responds to food addiction, the part of the brain that's going after the bags and the boxes and containers, it's, it's the reptilian brain, the lizard brain. It's a very primitive brain structure. Earliest evolved or whether you believe in evolution or not, it's, it's the kind of lowest, most basest instincts that are, they're like feast and famine, fight or flight. Right. The, the reptilian brain doesn't know love. When the reptilian brain looks at something in the environment, it says, do I eat it? Do I mate with it? Or do I kill it? Eat, mate, or kill? It doesn't know love. And so here I am spending a lifetime going to other psychologists and overeaters anonymous and, you know, doing all this dream analysis and soul searching, trying to figure out why I can't stop eating. Like, why don't I feel loved enough? And then this thing is staring in my face and saying, wait a minute, the part that's responding to food addiction doesn't care about love, it just wants to know if it should eat, mate, or kill that thing. It's, it's the limbic system and then the, the neocortex that says before you eat, mate, or kill that thing, what impact does this have on your loved ones or your tribe or your family or your long-term goals or weight loss or contributions to society? Um, and so this is kind of an embarrassing thing, but after all those years of really sophisticated soul-searching, which was valuable in other ways. It, it definitely lit up my life and you know nourished my soul in a lot of other ways, but it didn't help me with food. After all those years of soul searching, um, I, I decided that what I really need to do is take charge of this thing like I would take charge of any other biological function. So for example, Travis, I have to pee a little bit right now, but I'm not gonna go. I'm gonna wait until after the interview because I'm not my bladder. I, I, I will acknowledge my bladder, and I will tell my bladder that, yes, that's a very strong biological impulse, and it has to be taken care of eventually, but in my time, in my place, in my way. I'm superior to my bladder, I'm the alpha wolf. And when an alpha wolf is challenged for leadership, it doesn't say, oh my goodness, someone needs a hug. It says, get back in line or I'll kill you, and it snarls and it growls back up the threat. And so I said, "Well, why can't why can't overeating just be another impulse, like I like, derive from my bladders or, or my testicles? Like I, I don't run up to attractive women <laughs> to just kiss them, right? <laughs> <laughs> I'm so, I'm serious, like you, right? No, you absolutely. Get, get in a lot of trouble if you do that. So so um, I have a girlfriend now, so I don't run up to attractive women anyway. <laughs> but 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 um." So what I did is I decided I was going to draw a very clear, bright line between healthy and unhealthy eating, and I was going to just work one rule at a time. We can talk about why rules as opposed to guidelines if you want to, but I, I, said, um, I, I said, for example, I'm never going to have chocolate on a, week, on, a week, on a weekday again. I only have chocolate on Saturday and Sunday. And... I did that so all my chocolate decisions would be made during the week when I felt most stressed. And then if, this is the embarrassing part, then if I heard a little voice in my head that said, go ahead, Clan, you could, you could um, have some chocolate even though it's a Wednesday because you worked out hard enough. You might as well start tomorrow. I'd, so I'd say, wait a minute, that's not me. That's my inner pig squealing for pig slop. Chocolate on a Wednesday is pig slop. I don't eat pig slop. I don't let farm animals tell me what to do. So I decided to separate myself from my lizard brain. And whenever I would hear it squealing, I would just kind of back up with this aversive reaction. And it, um, it gave me a few extra microseconds at the moment of impulse to start to make better decisions. And I, it wasn't a miracle, but that's why, Travis, by the time you met me, I wasn't so fat. And, um, you know, that's why I actually lived into my 50s. <laughs> Even <laughs> the doctor, doctors were telling me that with triglycerides of 1,000, I was not gonna make it. Um, and, you know, slowly but surely, I started to make more and more of the right decisions and I wasn't feeling so powerless and confused anymore. And since nobody was telling me what to do, I made my own rules. I experimented with rules about always, rules about, you know, sometimes, I found you had to say very specifically when. And and I got better and I kept a journal. And the journal was basically what the pig said and why it was wrong. So if the pig said, we might as well just start tomorrow, it doesn't matter. I would say, wait a minute. The principle of neuroplasticity says that what fires together, wires together. Therefore, if I feel a craving for chocolate and I indulge today on a Wednesday, it's going to be harder tomorrow to stop. If you're in a hole, stop digging. Hmm. So I would have these very specific answers to the crazy things that the pig said. Um, and over eight years, the pig said a lot of things, and I had a lot of answers. And so that became the book. I, t- I took a month, and I turned that into a book. And I, I wasn't even really thinking that this book was going to be famous at that point. I was just kind of, like, doing it for a marketing experiment and um, – so you said this
1: journey is like it's I'm fascinated by this because you've said some really intriguing things, intriguing things here, because a lot of the people that I work with that, that want to publish books, it's always there's all this there's this hand wringing of like, what am I going to talk about? And I don't know what to do. And I'm going to do these things. And and your process was I've gone on this journey and I've been keeping a journal. And then you've taken the insights and the wisdom you've gained from that specific record keeping and turned that into your book you applied hard-won wisdom in a very specific way and um, it was exactly what i did with my 30 days unplugged book you know i remember i I
0: remember that book yeah
1: yeah i 30 days i just uh I, i kept a journal and the and the the foundation of the book ended up becoming the insights and the key things that that were going on during those 30 days when i when i was going through that experiment and so this is what i love about the writing process and um one of the things I talk about all of the time is is that uh, one of my primary ar- arguments is that as a society we've been conditioned to think uh, incorrectly about what a book actually is, and really a book is just a collection of useful knowledge. And like for in your ex- example, it was your personal journey over eight years of what you learned about this, and then you turned that into a book. So when you went through the process, then did you just did you go through your journal and then pull those parts out and type those in? Were you keeping a journal on a computer so all you had to do was edit it? What was? How did you take it from journal into book form?
0: Um, it took about a month. My My journal was in Microsoft Word and I opened up a new document and I read through my journal and every time I found something useful I copied and pasted it and I um, tried to figure out what the useful idea was and then I wrote that up and. You know, I, I, I always believe in the writing process, you start in the middle. Like, don't, don't worry about getting it all organized and everything up front. I, you know, I just, uh, I actually studied with Fred Gleek a long time ago, and he told me to make 25 index cards and <laughs> Fred have <three>, Gleek <laughs> a long time ago, I had yeah. like three points in each card. And he said, don't make it such a big deal. Just make your points and write, um, am I allowed to curse on this podcast or no? Go ahead. Shitty first drafts shitty first drafts so try perfection is really the enemy of the creative process. So I just got it out on paper. I just edited it into a journal and then I spent like a couple of weeks editing it over and over again. And then I gave it to Yoav, my partner. Um, and it's kind of funny. He was fat at the time. Um, Oh no, he was almost hundred pounds overweight. So he calls me back two weeks later. I said, I sent him the, the book, he calls me back two weeks later and says, Glenn, um, Donuts or pig slop? I don't need pig slop. I don't let farm animals tell me what to do. <laughs> <laughs> and he has proceeded to lose almost 100 pounds so far. Wow! Using government again. So,
1: but see, this is an even better part of the story: the fact that you wrote this book from your journey, you shared it with someone, they edited it, and through the editing process, they've learned the tools. Now, where now, you know,
0: here we are, that, and they've that, lost that, 100 pounds. That's that's when I first knew there was something to it. I I I, I thought this was just this crazy thing. I was actually hesitant to put it out in the public, because I'm kind of a sophisticated psychologist. And I mean, you know, I'm a little <laughs> rebellious, but am I really going to go out there and tell people they have a pig inside them? And- I mean, when
1: you have a PhD, and, and that's the title of the book, you know, me and my inner pig by the PhD, it, it is, it, it, there's a bit of an incongruence there, but that's what resonates because it makes it real.
0: The, the juxtaposition of my credentials, like not just that I'm a PhD, but I've been in the New York Times and the Los Angeles Times, and <laughs> blah 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 blah. And you're expecting this sophisticated guy who's done tens of millions of dollars of consulting. And he goes, "Yeah, I, I, I got this pig inside me, see, and I don't eat pig's stop and I don't let farm animals tell me what to do." <laughs> but but oh, it worked. But, but it works. So I, then I got a whole bunch of um, got a whole bunch of people to read it who weren't even really in the right market in retrospect I really should have um screened for binge eaters first and and then had those people read it I shouldn't have been listening to just anybody reading it but you know they caught some stuff they they said this doesn't make sense here and they said this is really funny here you should do more of that people really like the things that the pig would say They thought the pig was really funny and and um then we then we instituted the research process so then we you know did google consumer this is service. opposite of
1: what you normally do normally you do research and then you create this time you created and now you're doing
0: research completely the opposite <laughs> complete i mean like i wasn't even planning to make a living off of this I, I back then i thought well maybe i don't know maybe i'll just go back and see patients i, I wasn't sure what i was going to do it was you know, we're getting divorced in a hurry and I mean, we thought about it for a year, but it was pretty clear we were going to get divorced. Um, and, and I, so I wasn't really planning to make this the foundation of my career going forward. Um, but I said, okay, if I'm going to publish this thing and we want to make it work for this other company, then we should test the title and we should test the covers. So we got all these designers to draw different concepts of covers. And we, I'm a big fan of Google Consumer Surveys. So we, we ran it through Google, Google Consumer Surveys over and over again. So I've never
1: actually heard of a Google Consumer Survey. What is that?
0: Um, in the marketing research world, there's something called an omnibus, which is a statistically representative stratified random sample of the population of the United States um, that you can ask one question to. And Google, because they because they have had their ads placed on so many other people's websites. They have a program called AdSense. And if you're ever on someone else's website besides Google and you see ads by Google, right. you're viewing that because that website has contracted with Google to place ads on their site and they pay them a portion of the revenue from that. Okay, yes, that that I'm aware of. So because of the Google AdSense program, Google has, I think, as much as a billion websites in their arsenal. Mm-hmm. Certainly hundreds of millions. Wow. They, they've got a ridiculous number of websites in their arsenal. And so they have the capacity to display things on those, on those pages. And so one of the things they can display on that page, before you see the page, I think the website has to opt into this, before you see the page, you'll say, hey, before you see this contact, can you answer a one question survey? And so they can take a sample of the population, uh, whatever you want, and you can figure out how the general population will respond to your title or your your different graphical designs, or maybe it's a even a concept for a book. Um, and then they started to add things where you could screen. So we would we would ask if people now or ever have had a problem with binge eating, and then we'd show them the the book titles and the covers and um, you know, it gets expensive after a little while, but it's so important. I yeah. mean, the, the cover I mean, so Tim thinking- Ferriss
1: did kind of a cheap version of this when he started with 4-Hour week, week, right? If I recall, he ran a bunch of titles as Google AdWords, and then he basically went with the one that got the most clicks. Yeah. So, yeah, so what you're doing is just a much more sophisticated way of that. I didn't even know this was possible, so this is this is awesome. It,
0: it's better what we're – well, in some ways it's better what Tim was doing because he – um, he was testing people when they're searching to solve a problem, so in some ways it's a better audience. Gotcha. But, but in other ways it's better what we're doing because you get all the demographic information and you figure out who your audience really is, and it's a little cheaper and you get a larger volume of people to, to do it. So really you should do both. Google has made it more difficult to use their search platform to, um, to do marketing research tests. They, they really want you doing the marketing research on the content network and their display network, which is the contracts they have with all these other websites. Right,
1: okay. All right, so you've said something, so the other thing that I wanna highlight here, which is really important, is the fact that you essentially went from blank page to fully published, and well, to first draft in four weeks?
0: Yeah, but I wrote the journal for eight years first. Yeah,
1: so it was, it was, a, it was a one month uh, draft written over uh, eight years. <laughs> yeah, something like that. <laughs> but see, this is pretty typical. On my first book, I thought about it for ten years, and then I, I then I sat down and actually wrote it. It took me two years to get it after I started, but it's still the fact that you went through the draft that fast again. Because so what did you do? You took your the the knowledge that you'd already gained from that, and were able now to to create an abridgment of it. So,
0: and I, and I also wasn't thinking I have to have a number one bestseller. I was thinking I need a book that's good enough to do these market tests that. Yoav wanted to do. And that wouldn't embarrass me too much. Um, (laughs) You know, and I was emotionally distraught at the time. Um, So it was kind of good to focus on writing instead of everything else. And um, that's what I did.
1: Wow. So now was there at any point, did you ever think about trying to take this out and get a traditional publisher? Or did you always know you were just going to go straight to the self-publishing route?
0: I mean, I've been an internet marketer for years and Yoav had been teaching Kindle marketing successfully, by the way. The the people who would do what he said were making money. um, Not that many people would actually do it because he recommended The Long Road all the time. Mm -hmm. So like the other pieces and parts of The Long Road were that we approached, I think, 50 of the 500 top reviewers on Amazon. And we actually went and... Read their reviews and read the books that they were reviewing. And we wrote them a very specific letter about why we thought, given their review of XYZ book and what they said, and we would reference it, we think that they might like to reference to review our book. And we screened for those people we thought would review it favorably given what they wrote about similar books. Um, and we just, you know, that was a couple of months of just constantly going after them because amazon really likes when um their top reviewers are happy about that right and i think we got to 10 reviews like that and then the amazon engine started showing some people stuff and and then it turned out people actually liked it <laughs> so it's, um and it took off
1: so how, so last I when i checked i know um never binge again is still in the top 10 how long has it been in the top 10 now for the categories it's in
0: most days, it is the number one book for eating disorders on Amazon, on, at least on the you know, the Kindle, Nook, and PDF versions are free. The um, paperback and audible versions are paid. M- most days, it's like the number one or number two book. In We're disorders. talking like years now, though, right? Two years, for, three for, years? For years. You know, last week I checked, and six of our books are in the top 100 for eating disorders. It's crazy, and we were still number one. Um, so it took a long time to get there. Like it took six months to get there. I hired a podcast publicist. So I went. All I like service. how
1: you said it took a long time, and you're like it was six months. <laughs> People struggle for
0: years and years and never get there.
1: Um, but, was, well,
0: but, but there are all of these there are all of these services that can make you number one for a day. Right. And then, you, then you can say you were number one. which is some value to that, but um, we wanted to be number one and stay number one. And so we kept investing in systems and processes which would get us genuine, real reviews, um, and we just kept on saying that if Amazon sees that people really like this and it's genuinely reviewed by real people who are in the target audience, that you know, the system should do what it's supposed to do, and it did. Um,
1: so can uh, we talk about that a Because Never Binge Again has almost 5,000 reviews which by any measure is just, I mean, mind blowing. Uh, So can you share anything about how you were able to do that? I mean, you just shared like you went out to the top 10 reviewers, but can you talk about your process? Do you have a process in place that allows you to? Uh,
0: We we actually taught it publicly once and people won't do it, but uh, if you look at, if you read the book, we, um, every chapter, has a specific theme, and we created a specific bribe for every chapter. So the, wow, likely, okay. the likely, so when you go to opt-in, you're not just getting one report. If you opt-in from chapter one, you're incented to go opt-in because perhaps you'd like to take the pig damage test. You know, how, how much damage is your pig doing inside you? Uh, if you opt-in from chapter two, which is about recovering from a binge, You're probably opting in because you, sorry about the fire engine. You're probably opting in because you want to, you, you want the binge recovery cheat sheet and the binge recovery MP3. Uh, So every chapter we created a very strong ethical rub. It's like we created a whole product and gave it away for free. Wow. Um, So most people won't do that. And, um, Yeah. And then, you know, and then once we have people on the email list and they like what we're doing for a little while, we ask them for a review and, you know, because we, we give the Kindle book away for free. There's a volume of free downloads. Um, And so we then have a volume of leads coming through. And um, so do
1: you spend, do you run ads to your actual free Kindle book as well? Even today, even though you've got so many reviews and you're number one and
0: well yeah, because the leads are worth money to us because we have um Yeah, back end. Yeah, we have a back end. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Wow. Okay. That that's awesome. So now you've got six books. So at what point did you realize maybe we're onto something?
0: I mean, I didn't write the second book until twenty nineteen, I think, or the very end of twenty eighteen.
1: Wow, so four uh, years into the
0: into the gig. It, the royalties started to get to be significant once we had 100 reviews. Um, and we had the Audible book. And we started to say that from the royalties alone, it might be worth having a few other books in the system. Um, but, I mean, mostly people were valuable to us because they were buying the, the coaching system. And also, you know, Travis, I really... Like my mission is to help a million people a year stop binge eating. So we we'd been doing all this coaching and we came upon specialty topics. Like, like it was really hard to get people to stop overeating at two in the morning, the people that struggled with that. Mm-hmm. That turned out to be the most recalcitrant problem that we faced. And so we decided we wanted to focus a couple of months on writing a book about that. So I hired researchers to figure out what helps people in that time overeating. And we reviewed all of our sessions. We I've got five coaches that work for me now. So we talked to our coaches about people that were succeeding and failing and we figured out a protocol that seems to be really helping people with nighttime overeating. And I I just wanted to get it out there so the people that were struggling with it could get over it. Um, You know, and that book actually doesn't make an awful lot of money, but for the people who have that problem, um, we're really taking the thorn out of their paw. And as we wrote the different books on specialty topics, It turned out that the people who came to us for coaching, they had more resources to solve more problems and get the most out of the coaching. So they came much more ready for coaching. Mm. Um, And, you know, it's one thing to sell someone a $500 or $1,000 coaching program when they read your book. It's another thing to sell them a $1,000 coaching program when they've read eight of your books. So, um, you know, it helps in that regard. It's not really so much about the royalties,
1: right yeah well that's great and this is one of the things that when i with the process i teach a lot of my clients is the same thing like i teach a process that once you've got the first book done then that's like i always tell everyone we've got your first first draft done and now it's with the editors and the layout that's going to take a while so let's start on book number two and most people think oh i don't have book number two and i go and then i show them the process and usually it will happen by the time we're done with the first draft of the travis coding method of writing books they go oh wow i've actually got three books or four books or five books and it's the same thing each one of those is, is giving a piece and, and 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 it's designed specifically the phrase that i have and i even got the, the the website for it now is it starts with a book you know the book really is just the beginning it's just the starting point and each book you put out like you said exactly it it just helps bring in Um, higher quality, more qualified people, and it'll save, it makes your job easier down the road. So I'm glad to have a conversation with someone who's living this in their daily life. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's it's kind of fun to be an author who wrote wrote a lot of books also. It's just kind of fun.
1: It is kind of fun. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's great. So when you started, so at what point did you decide because obviously your partner's in a publishing company and, and, and you launched this book as like, hey, let's use this as sort of the, the beta test uh, to show the process. Uh, at what point in that process did, did you and your partner go, maybe we need to go all in on this one thing and build that
0: out? Well, I guess I was still working in marketing somewhat through the end of 2017. And it was in 2017 that we launched the coaching program and so other people really wanted Coaching, and I wasn't really happy teaching marketing because um, my methods have always been a little uh, laborious and heaven like, forbid. I know <laughs>
1: you're going to make me work, Glenn, to make my money online. How dare you?
0: Yeah, yeah. so they've been a little laborious, and and they were, um, uh, for lack of a better word, a little propeller head, and and I had. I, had, I decided to stop trying to teach research, and actually let um, Ryan Levesque, who was one of my students. Yeah, I was
1: going to say he sort of took the banner on that, didn't he?
0: Well, he asked my permission first, so I, I, I have no ill well. will. I wish him all the best, and I think he did a fantastic job because he made it simpler and easier and he's developed some software. Well, now
1: i got to go have Ryan on my show and be like, I talked to your master and uh, now, now we I'm need not, to know the I'm secrets. Not, I, not, know, I know, I know. I'm, I'm not really his.
0: No, he he is. I, I mean, I taught him some things, but really, he taught me just as much. And um, yeah, yeah, people say, well, he took your work. He, he really didn't. He he um he deserves what he what he has now. Um, I actually owe him a phone call. <laughs> think about it. Um, All right. Yeah. So so that's when 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 people started paying for coaching. Then we started to think, yeah, we got something here, and honestly, I had to do something because I closed down all my other businesses and I didn't want to teach marketing anymore. So I, and I had enough money to last probably a year, maybe a year and a half. Um, So I, I figured, let me give this, let me give this my best shot. This seems to be helping people. It's incredibly delightful to help people with a problem that was the bane of your existence for all these years. Mm. Um, You know, they feel like you're saving their lives and I mean, now I get a letter every day from someone who lost 100 pounds and says, "Well, I mean, you
1: literally are saving lives." <laughs> I, I think we are. I, yeah, I, I, I mean, honestly think we are. Yeah. And uh, and you're also directly affecting one of the biggest epidemics in probably human, at least in the United States history. I mean, look at how many issues our healthcare systems buckling under. Uh, right. Not to to pun on the words there, but but just because of this issue. Um, but there's so much behind it too. So I love the fact that in this conversation, you've talked about the fact that in your previous life, you were the consultant to the guys were like, oh yeah, here's how we're manipulating. uh, I was on the wrong
0: side of the war. Yeah. Like like, like the Marlboro man. uh,
1: Now now you come out. That's amazing. Well, fantastic. So from you personally, how much did you know about marketing in a book on Amazon when you launched this? or or did you just kind of hand that all over to your business partner and let him I
0: handed that I handed over to Yoav I I also have a mentor John Chancellor from Teach the Soul um who was a top 100 reviewer on Amazon I think and he really told us an awful lot along the way also and you know when I want to do something in my life I consult experts right and so we interviewed some experts and we um you know, Yoav knew it backwards and forwards and I focus on, it was, it was nice for me not to have to focus on the marketing so much at first. It was nice for me to focus on just making the book really good. Um, yeah. And yeah, so I mean, the answer is really almost nothing. I, I know almost nothing about marketing a book on Amazon, but I, so, I know that Yoav did.
1: So, are so at this point though, are there any key lessons or insights that you can share about what you've learned over this this journey? Because, it's it's this is what a fun journey that you start in one place using it for something and then it turns into this other thing, but in the same process. It's something that you're passionate about. It brings you a lot of joy and you're legitimately, like, legitimately changing lives and saving lives. I mean, I think the emotional rewards from that alone would be, would be pretty
0: amazing. I, I would do this for free. If the banker would say, Oh, you're a good guy. You don't have to pay the mortgage. <laughs> <laughs> I, I swear I would. Well, what a fantastic place to be at. The, um, the biggest marketing advantage Uh, It's like a derivative of what what we used to call the unlimited traffic technique, which was that people think they want to spend the least money that they can for advertising, but you actually want to be able to spend the most that you can. Because if you can spend more than everybody else, you get all the traffic, right? right? And so most people on Amazon are trying to make money with books. And we're not trying to make money with books. We're trying to make money. I mean, eventually we did make some money with books, but... We're not trying to live off the royalties from the books. We think of the book as a lead generator so we could sell the coaching. And if you can develop a funnel that actually sells a good back end so you can afford to pay more than everybody who's trying to make money just selling a book, I mean, how much money do you make when you sell a book? Six dollars, seven dollars? Yeah. How much money do you make when you sell a coaching program? Five hundred, a thousand? So if I can make a thousand dollars from a customer and you can make seven dollars from a customer, who can pay more for the ads so it wasn't really a trick that we learned on Amazon. it wasn't really uh you know, well, this is how the algorithm works i honestly I've learned some of those things, but I prefer to keep them to myself um,
1: <laughs> so you do but, know amazon hacks
0: <laughs> a, a little bit just just a just a little bit, but um So you took
1: direct marketing principles and just applied them to marketing on Amazon. And shockingly, you got a good result.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: This sounds suspiciously like things you've been talking about for 15 years now.
0: Right. That's what I used to teach everybody. (laughs) It's, um, you know, and it's a long road because you have to do a lot of testing to figure out how to sell the coaching and you have to make sure people are happy with the coaching and then you want them to rave about it and you got to collect testimonials. It's, it's a long road, but, I knew the path up the mountain and I kept walking up it.
1: Well, and you would also, at least in the coaching realm, had had the processes in place somewhat because you did have a, a coaching training program before, correct? So your previous business was that. So in some ways, the process was at least familiar. You were just applying it to a, a different market. Yeah. Well, that's fantastic. Well, th- this has been a fantastic time. I've, I've loved chatting with you. How can someone learn more about you and what you're doing? And
0: Well, um, there are two reasons you might want to do that. You might want to follow our marketing funnel and see what we're doing that's so successful. And perhaps you even are struggling with food a little bit yourself and you might want to see how we help people. After um, being
1: locked inside for four months, I have no idea what you're talking about.
0: Yeah, in the middle of the pandemic. <laughs> oh my! I got to tell you, our business exploded during this. It's um, a- anyway. It's kind of a sad thing. Uh, if you go to NeverBingeAgain.com and click the big red button, you'll get three things. You get a free copy of the book in. You'll need to sign up for the reader bonus list, but you get a free copy of the book in Kindle, Nook, or PDF format. Uh, the Audible and paperback are available at, at a cost. Um, you will get a copy of the food plan starter templates that we set together. So no matter whether you're ketogenic or point counting or calorie counting or vegan or whatever you are, the book is diet agnostic. You can use it on any diet. There's a set of starter rules that you might want to consider owning for yourself and editing. And then I recorded a whole bunch of full-length audio sessions, which are... um, Just demonstration, so this sounds really weird in theory. It sounds like, um, why does Travis have this psychologist on who has a pig inside of him? (laughs) It's it's actually a very compassionate, life-giving, enthusiastic process that takes people from feeling hopeless and despairing and confused about food to feeling hopeful and um, optimistic and um, energetic about accomplishing their goals. In, in just one session so I, I want you to you to hear how that was done it's all free never binge click the big red button
1: so is there anything else you would uh, like to uh people to know or any final insights or words of wisdom for us
0: um. That's all I can think of, man. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I mean, you've dropped plenty, plenty of golden nuggets today. So we've come away with a lot of uh, fantastic <laughs> d- stuff. D-
0: d- don't try to fool Amazon. Don't try to fool the search engines. Don't try the shortcuts hurt you in the long run. Um, write a great book. Do your research. Um, write write to the reviewers. Don't shortcut that process, and make sure make sure what you have shines, and then. Uh, persistently relentlessly go after publicity for it and you know there's a groundswell that occurs and the amazon system will do its magic uh, that's, that's amazing
1: oh, yeah, yeah. well thank you so much for your advice and more importantly thank you for your time um, i'm happy to know you and it's been fun to watch this journey with you so um Everybody who's listening, go, go check it out. I can't remember the last time I've had someone on the show who says, hey, you want to know what we're doing with our funnel? Just go get in our funnel, and you can see what we're doing. <laughs> yeah. Most people try to keep a secret. You just told us what to do. So, more or less, yeah. More or less. <laughs> All yeah. right, Glenn. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thanks, Travis. Take care. Bye. Hey, it's Travis Cody. Thanks for listening to The Just Right Show, and I want to make sure you're plugged into everything we've got going on. Go to traviscodycom forward slash show and join the email list so you can get notified when new episodes come out. Plus, you can find links to the transcripts of every episode we've done in the past. You can also grab a free copy of my best-selling books that share even more details on how you can uplevel your own writing skills. Finally, if you enjoyed the show, I'd consider it a personal favor if you'll leave me a review on iTunes and Spotify. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you on the next episode.